Hey, welcome to Rushcast. My name's Jay Mantis. Thank you very much for being here. We're glad to have you on board. Today we're uh, we're kind of flying through our live album series, and today we're talking about R30, the first of two anniversary tours that Rush will complete. And I have one of my good friends here to help me talk about that album. An album that I just barely missed as a fan. I wasn't quite a big Rush. I wasn't a big Rush fan until just after the R30 tour. But my buddy here had a chance to be at that show. Or one of those shows. Um, This is somebody that has his own podcast called Keep Digging that I was lucky enough to be a part of the first episode with. And um, if you're into UFOs or you feel like listening to me and my guest vent and rant about ufos and my ufo experiences you should check out his uh, his podcast keep digging um because i get a little i get a little carried away but that's just how i am with ufos so you should check it out if nothing else it'll be humorous um please welcome nick palazik from keep digging how you doing nick hey buddy what's up I'm really glad to be here on some 41 cast. <laughs> it's um I'm, I've already made jokes that this was Nickelback cast. Right. It's just that you told me that this was a podcast dedicated to the best rock band to come out of Canada. <laughs> Is it bad if I can't name a single some 41 song? I actually think it might be good if you can't name a single some 41 song. <laughs> they did have a few like huge hits, right? They had like Fat Lip, I think. And the Hell song, still they're popular when we were still like got nothing. middle schoolers. <laughs> yeah, um, Nick, you're up in Schenectady, New York, right? That is correct. And we went to college together. Nick is a drummer. When I was um, in music school, the first music school, um, <laughs> a very good drummer. So he's got a, you know, I don't remember when we figured out we were both Rush fans, but it was a. a supremo moment for sure i think i remember you were arguing with a guy that we went to school with named tim about rush versus fish yeah outside of the music locker room yeah he was a um he was a hardcore fish fan about as hardcore as i am about rush and he (laughs) hated rush and to be honest i hate fish so (laughs) also i like i think a lot of people hate both of those bands yes (laughs) Um, I like the idea that there's a music locker room, like to anybody else that just sounds like, yeah, before music school, we all go to the locker room and get changed and shower. <laughs> but we're talking That's about exactly like, the lockers is, that we house the instruments in. Um, no, it was the first thing. Now I, I do remember one of the first things I learned about Nick was that he, he had been to the R30 show or tour. He, you, you saw an R30 show, correct? I did at Saratoga Springs in New York. And like I said, I had just barely missed it. I remember seeing a ticket stub for the R30. Uh, Yo, Jared, Jay, you there? Your yeah. audio just cut. Oh, all right. Can you hear me now? You there? Yeah, you're back. Oh, good. It's Your audio cut right when you were saying something about SPAC and Rush. Oh, that was just my Verizon commercial impression. So I could say... Oh. Can you hear me now? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, I remember seeing a ticket stub on one of my friend's mirrors, like in his bedroom, and it said Rush 30th anniversary. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I didn't even know it existed. And he's like, oh, yeah, that was last month. I'm like, ah! <laughs> and then I had to wait a few years before the Snakes and Arrows show to finally get to see them. Maybe that was a good thing. But um, is R30 one of your favorite tours because it was your first one? I'm assuming R30 you didn't see Vapor Trails. is my favorite tour for that same reason. What uh, I can remember going to the R30 show for the with my dad, and that was like my first big not Zucchini Brothers rock concert, and it was absolutely <laughs> life altering. Zucchini Brothers, the classic <laughs> children's show, teaches you to count, teaches you the days of the week. It's a and they called metal you the Tooth to Monster honest. if you didn't brush your teeth. <laughs> Um, is there something about the set list or maybe like take the, like take the nostalgic part out of it. 
is is there something about the set list or how they looked on stage set on stage or uh, i guess that would kind it's of really get... hard for me to take the nostalgia out of it i just remember i think i was in sixth grade when they when they came through or like the summer between sixth and seventh grade mm-hmm. and um being in the crowd and having listened to rush cassettes my whole life but never really be for whatever reason never being that big into music and then like seeing neil peart's uh the awesome r30 kit with all the different logos on it and uh i don't know they just looked and sounded really cool but now when i go back and look on the set there's a lot of rush songs that i hadn't listened to yet because i only had uh so many of the albums up to that point and i remember it was the first time i heard Earthshine. it was the first time i heard uh surprisingly xanadu Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of really cool uh, memories in there for me. And it was also awesome because growing up subdivisions and roll the bones were two of my favorite songs. So that was pretty cool. I remember going to get pizza with you the first year we met. I drove us to go get pizza in Schenectady. And I remember you were very opinionated about Vapor Trails and Presto. And I... I I feel like at different times in our relationship, you loved them both or you hated them both. What were your first reactions toward those two albums? Presto and I have a weird relationship. I used to really like Presto when I was younger. And then when I got older and I discovered the uh, the rest of Rush's catalog and I went back to Presto, and I, I think it was also affected by the fact that I learned that nobody else liked Presto. <laughs> Uh, I didn't, uh, I had a lot of animosity toward it for a while, but now I can go back and listen to it and appreciate it. So Presto and I are on good terms. And then Vapor Trails, um, I don't know. I remember not being totally crazy about it at one point, but now, uh, that's one of my favorite Rush albums. So go figure. I I have fleeting interests. I agree that (laughs) it's one of your favorite Rush albums. (laughs) Um, yeah. It's interesting that you know something that always irked me about R30 was that they played every, they covered every album but Presto, and it's like why <laughs> they they obviously made an effort to play something from every album. Why did they just blatantly leave off? They couldn't play one track from that record. Is that a, yeah, does that bother not- you? I don't know, maybe maybe Rush considers Presto the Dark Times, but they've played songs off Presto since then, because I think, didn't they play The Pass? They play The Pass all the uh, time. They played um, they played Presto on the Time Machine tour. Well, there are also a few songs that they cut from the set list when they put out the DVD. Maybe one of, the, I don't know what those were, but I think it was just like YYZ and the Trees. Yeah, I looked it up. It, it uh, didn't, still didn't include anything from Presto. That So the songs that weren't included on the DVD but were on the tour... You know, YYZ, The Trees, uh, what was the first one you said? YYZ, The Trees, uh, I, I don't remember, I'm sorry. They were, oh, Secret Touch. They were, they were mostly songs that were included on Rio, and they didn't want to repeat them. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, you know but that luckily, makes sense. we we don't really <laughs> see this again in the future we get everything that was on the tour for the most part except for songs that rotate we get songs that were on the tour or on the dvd um and that's another reason why this album's kind of weird but i want to start with this medley and i i played that medley to death and i i would i would always i always kind of skip it now until this week when i was revisiting the album um, I want to get to the actual songs, the full songs, but I listened to it this weekend. I go, this medley is perfect. <laughs> it's a masterpiece. The way the songs blend into each other. Uh, I remember the older music, the older material was the last material I got into. So there was a long period of time where I didn't know where one song ended and once the next one began because they were, <laughs> they blended so well. And I didn't know what the songs yeah. were to begin with. There were no vocals. So, um, and I think about it to this week as like, 
I called it the king of all medleys, of all past medleys. They had done <laughs> so many medleys, especially in like the 80s tours. And, you know, they'll take like finding my way into, in, in the mood into working man or something, you know. And here we get like the big guy. Here's a real medley. Do you agree? Is it is it a is it a masterpiece? Like I'm labeling it as. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, everything sounds perfect, and it is cool how like uh, if you didn't know the material, you would think it was just one big song. Mm-hmm. But when you do, I remember that was one of the things that struck me about it when I was a kid because I was like, "Oh my God, there, it's by Tour and the Snow Dog, but now it's La Villa Strangiato. What even?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is that? You know, another note I made just in general was this thing looks old now. Are I always considered R30 to even Rio, Rio and R30 to be like new Rush albums that were crisp look, crisp and clean, and they were modern looking. But man, we've been spoiled with these last few DVDs and the Blu-ray technology, the technology True. that these videos have gone in because. R30 looks old to me now. When I watch, I, I feel like I'm watching something from the early 2000s. And, I mean, that would make, yeah, dude, that would make sense, but... It's as old as Spider-Man 2. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, <laughs> you can see it. You could see the quality is down compared to the new stuff. And obviously that's to be expected, but um, it was the first time this week watching where I, that was very clear to me. Uh, let's talk... Let's talk sound quality, maybe on the audio version. Um, I always considered it to be very good, especially back when R30 was the latest thing. It was like, oh, it's like Rio, except the uh, crowd is a little less intense and the mix is a bit cleaner overall. But I listened to it this week and I go, I don't really know if I like this mix. Something about the vocals, something about the... The bass part kind of felt a little buried. Um, this part specifically, I'll ask to you, Nick. The drums, I was not digging the sound of the drum kit, and I don't want to immediately label it as that kit. Maybe it was the mix. But I'd, a lot of the parts, a lot of the components of the audio um, part of this of this album, I don't like. What about you? Yeah, I'm with you. I, like, on the drums, I remember thinking the same thing as you i hadn't listened to r30 in a while and i went back and i thought the drums sounded almost like plasticky mm-hmm. in a way like that uh fake kind of like triggery sound and i remember listening to your last episode the uh, russian rio and talking about how clear how much you love that mix and you thought it was the best the band ever sounded and i agree with you on like the bass tone on that and then i thought it was more or less the same but honestly for the bass tone going into listening to r30 uh, but in terms of the overall mix, I did think it sounded a little bit muddier than even uh, Russian Rio. Yeah, Rio seems and clearer I, somehow. And we always kind of assume that's the opposite, but that's just how what I observed this time around. Right. And I tried to listen to Snakes Live to compare it, but I, for some reason my car stopped reading CDs and I didn't get a chance to it. So, um, what, What's your favorite live drum kit? Not in the studio, but what's the favorite drum kit he's ever had live? Or uh, you, we can even keep it to R30 onwards, the shows you've seen. In terms of seeing them in person, I really liked the... It was the same kit on Time Machine and uh, Clockwork, right? Mm-hmm. I really liked that one, and I really liked the R30 kit. I remember I saw them on each leg of Snakes and Arrows when they came by, and that red with the the snakes and arrows logos all over. I was never crazy about the way that one looked. You weren't crazy about it? I don't know, man. There's something about that like candy apple red that just, I thought it was kind of ugly. Oh, wow. That is my all-time favorite kit of his. I I knew that, and I was afraid to tell (laughs) you, Jared. Jay. (laughs) It's all good. Um, So, yeah, we have this medley. Um, we go into Spirit of Radio, and there's a few. There's one thing that was kind of performed differently. You know, a lot of these tracks have have components that were executed slightly differently, and that's what most of my notes are. Um, Spirit of Radio, they get to the Invisible Airwaves part, and there are no bass pedals, and kind of 
the 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 renditions of this song we've heard in in the future past this album have and actually in the past as well have these big bass pedals underneath it but he leaves those out sometimes i believe it's for half and then the second half of that part the bass pedals kick back in and i felt like i was missing something do you know what part i'm talking about it's a very small detail uh i do but i did not notice that when i was when i was watching when i was I just, watching through it yesterday i just kind of i was like making dinner and i turned around and looked at the tv and i'm like that's Oh, I wish he would play those parts like I'm missing that. Uh, also, fun to note that Alex uses the wah pedal during the solo because it's it's sort of like it's always up in the air whether he's going to use the wah pedal or he's just going to play a regular solo. Right. What's a? I'll let you steer the steer the ship here. What song are we talking about next? Um. Let's see, they played Force 10 next, right? Mm-hmm. I don't really know if we need to talk about Force 10, though. <laughs> in, in in a way, that is a deep cut, though. I know we've heard it. It is. There we were a few it. songs on this that... Sorry. We heard Force 10 on recent records, but at the time, that was a big deal to hear Force 10. That's true. Yeah, there were a lot of tracks that they played on this tour that were that we don't get to see very often, which was nice. For me, the big one was Mystic Rhythms. I remember when I, I yes, when I oh got this box, I thought, I, I, I it's funny. I, I got the the DVD and had no idea what was on it. You know, that would be very different from today. Um, if they released right. another live album, I would know what was on it before I got it. And um, I saw Mystic Rhythms, and I, I remember it was Christmas Eve, which is my birthday, and I got it. We were at my grandma's right before Christmas. It's 11 o'clock at night. I'm driving home as a little kid. I'm riding home, I should say. And I'm like, Mom, I just want to open this up, and I just want to hear this one song. And we listened to Mystic Rhythms, arguably the weirdest song on the album, and <laughs> maybe even the weirdest song they ever wrote. <laughs> and I listened yeah. to it live, and I loved it. However, I watched it on the DVD this week, and I thought, you know, this really works live in terms of audio. But man, the crowd seems weirded out. The crowd really looked like they they kind of got the energy sucked out of them. They were all they all had their hands down. I don't I don't expect you to be fist pumping to Mystic Rhythms, um, but it definitely seemed like a song where if you weren't a hardcore fan, you were like, "What is going on? I don't like this." Uh, yeah, uh, I th- I got that same feeling when I was watching it that everybody just kind of got zombified. <laughs> I phased over at that point. <laughs> maybe maybe the band expected that and they thought, we don't care, we want to play. You know, I'm, I'm very glad that they played it because if they hadn't, I believe the song would have been performed live on Power Windows and then that was it. <laughs> and there's nothing... Yeah. Not the, the only thing worse than a song being played on its own tour and then never again is a song that was never played. You know, I'm looking at you, Larger Bowl probably Spindrift, you know, all these songs that were played on their actual tour, but then we'll never see the light of day past that. Or everything else on Test for Echo besides Driven. <laughs> I go on and on about that. Yeah. Uh, your audio just cut out again. That's just Skype being weird. Hmm. The good news is the, the audio won't be cutting out because, you know, I'm not taking my audio from Skype. Um, Jay, can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear me? Hey, can you hear me? Yes. Cool. Sorry about that. Audio cut again. Um, Skype is so weird. You know, I'll have somebody on the show from like Ireland, <laughs> on the other side of the world, and it'll be totally crystal clear, no delay, and you're a hundred miles away from me, and we're having all these problems. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Skype just—it's always that for me. Um, I, I, that's why I usually try to use Google uh, Hangout. Uh, yeah, it might anyway. the future. I've seen people do it, and it sounds pretty good. Yeah, but then I'll hear like people on other podcasts talk, complaining about this that one doing the same thing. So, <laughs> who knows? I had a Life couple notes on Red Barchetta. <laughs> the first is that the guitar solo has this weird EQ, this weird effect where there's like no bass and it's all highs. It's really whiny and tinny sounding. Yeah, it was you know? kind of tinny sounding. Yeah, I have that same note. And 
I'm I'm um, hesitant to criticize it because in the world of electric guitar solos, there's not a ton of variation that we. I mean, there's a there are a million different ways you can alter the sound of an electric guitar, but um, people in like the standard rock setting don't often take advantage of those and really alter the sound of their voice. Here he does, and it, the change is nice. And he doesn't always do this on recordings of Red Barchetta. Um, I don't love it, but I'm not going to hate on it because it is a change of pace and that's healthy. What do you think about it? Um, I honestly really liked it, even though it was kind of like, I thought it was tinny and thin sounding. It's for the same reason you just said, it was kind of cool to hear at least like something slightly different come out of that song. Yeah. Now, the end of the song... Getty's always done this like extended bass solo, at least in recent years. And I don't think it gets any better than this recording. It sounds <laughs> it sounds composed. It sounds um it sounds like it's well executed. It sounds like he hits every note in the right spot. Um every note is what the note he wanted and it's in the right place rhythmically like it's it's just executed perfectly. I would take this bass solo at the end of Red Barchetta over any other recording. Yeah, it was it was awesome. It was super high energy. And what was cool is I don't know if you were how closely you were like watching the DVD when they were doing that, but there there was a camera when they were recording that was set up basically looking from the ground up at Getty Lee. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically during this bass solo that I thought it was super it was like an epic moment because he was having this awesome bass solo and you had this like heroic shot of Keddy Lee. <laughs> that it was, was kind of the equivalent of like the the end of Leave That Thing Alone on the, on Rio. Like that was his big bass feature moment. I guess actually he had two moments in Rio with the middle of Driven. But um, this is definitely right. like an opportunity for him to kind of be in the spotlight in terms of the bass playing. I guess he's always in the spotlight if you're the lead singer. very true now i want to ask you about feedback and i want to ask you about hearing feedback tunes in the set list the biggest beef i've always had with r30 is that there are a lot of slots (laughs) eaten up by songs that rush didn't write and to be honest the only um good things i have to say about feedback come from the fact that i dedicated a whole episode to it on my show and it took me a week of like really analyzing it to really appreciate it. And also it took listeners emailing me and telling me what I was missing. So I like feedback. However, I still really don't, if I ever heard the seeker in the middle of a rush set, I would be extremely angry. And luckily it hasn't happened since this tour. Um, but what do you think about feedback and the songs being performed live? So at the time when I was, you know, like, 11 years old and going to my first rush show i thought it was really cool to see the seeker and then to see them sit down and do their acoustic thing uh and then they had heart full of soul later in the set with neil peart and then on the encore they did a couple more or maybe just one uh no they did two in the encore from feedback and i thought it was super cool back then but now as an adult when i'm going back and listening through and i go from roll the bones into the seeker I get a little annoyed and I skip past the seeker (laughs) and I I, I appreciate feedback. I really like it. And I think it was a cool thing they did, but it felt sort of like midlife (laughs) crisis-y for them to be doing all these covers on their anniversary tour. And I get why they did it because they were celebrating their career and they wanted to play the, the music that inspired them to play music. But I think they might've went a little overboard. Yeah, I mean, and, and like we said, at least it never happened since. It's not like they decided Heartful of Soul was a, a great song to play live and then we're going to play it on every other tour from now on. Right. Um, Can we yeah. talk about one of my favorite things that happened during The Seeker, though? Yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the song, um, they're, they're like doing that big garage rock ending thing and Alex and Getty stand face to face and Alex just grabs Getty's nose and starts wiggling it. And Getty grabs the um, uh, the bar on Alex's guitar, the whammy bar, and just starts doing his thing with it. And 
it was kind of weird, but it was also hilarious. Yeah, anytime <laughs> Getty's nose is involved in a humorous way, I'm on board with that. <laughs> now, the, oh. here's the highlight for the Seeker, in my opinion. This is a spot, not a spotlight. This is a feature for Alex as a singer. Alex's singing is really nice on the Seeker. In fact, I would argue this whole live album is Alex's best singing to this point. He does a really good job. Yeah. He's kind of up in the mix, but on the on the Seeker especially, he does a great job singing. And you know what? That's not his current track record. He's not it's not like we know him as a great backup singer at this point. Yeah, it was interesting to note that you could actually hear him. I feel like in other live albums, I don't even notice right. um, when his harmonies come in or whatever. But uh, on this one, I, it was actually present. You could hear it, and he sounded good, which was neat. I wonder if it's because he wasn't singing well enough for them to have him up in the mix in the past. You know? There there have been times it's, where I hear him, like maybe during like a free will on some of the older live albums, and you can hear it, it's like, it's not quite <laughs> the note it should be, you know. Um, at the same time, let's move to Tom Sawyer. I think this is one of the best Gettys ever sung this song live. It's very true to the original. It's got a little bit of um, spontaneity to it. And it's also, he, he, he's not quite at the point of his career where he's got to, like, yelp to get to those high notes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have, I have a note on here next to Tom Sawyer that I really enjoyed the vocals, and it made me realize, like, this whole recording. Uh, I forgot to mention this earlier when you asked me what I love so much about R30. But uh, for me, like, Russian Rio and R30 are the best. And it's probably nostalgia talking, but, like, that's my favorite Getty Lee has sounded on a live album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he sounds as good from Snakes On, but that's just you know yeah, personal I, I preference. Agree. For me, it's um, I think it's like Clockwork. No, I I would probably say R forty was when it dipped for me, when I realized all right, this singing isn't quite what it's been in the past. But I can totally understand right. if you say this is the peak. I I I would agree with that. I wouldn't argue it. I should say. Um, now we get Dreamline again and i believe we're gonna get it on snakes and arrows live like this song was played for like six straight tours or something um which says something about how they feel about this track and it's a great track and i'll say it again it's a track that changes every time they play it live so i won't complain about hearing it live (laughs) this specific recording we'll jump right to my favorite part which is the pre-solo the solo is extended it's doubled from what it normally is on the studio album just like every time it's performed live the second half is exactly like it is on roll the bones but the second half or the first half is all improvised and this is one of, i remember when i got r30 that was the first thing i noticed on this track was like oh this is that's this is different than the rio version and i think it's better i think it's better than the rio version what do you think? Uh, for Der Trommler, I agree. Um, no, I'm talking no, about Dreamline. Dream, sorry, Dreamline. I'm looking at my notes, and I saw D, and I just said the first thing I saw because I'm an I idiot. Like, I was like, is there a solo in Der, like a like a guitar solo in Der Trommler that he could be getting confused with? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was neat. I don't really remember too much like specifically about Dreamline and the other live albums, but... Uh, I am always a fan. I'm I'm always really glad when I hear that song, and the same the same thing for Between the Wheels, mm-hmm. which is the next one. I thought that was so cool to see that uh, when I was a kid and seeing it for the first time, because I remember that the I had the cassette with uh, Between the Wheels on it. That was uh, Grace Under Pressure, right? Yeah. And I remember just being super stoked on uh, being able to hear that at the end of the set. And have they played Between the Wheels since then? They played it on um, Snakes and Arrows, and I think R40. Oh, crap. Yeah. Never mind. I thought it was super special, but I guess it was on all these other albums. At the time, I think it was super special. I believe I read it was the first time it had been played since the Power Windows warm-up tour, which is honestly just like a second leg of the Grace Under Pressure tour. So at the time, it hadn't been played since its tour, effectively. Nice. Um 
uh, where am I here? Uh, well, I want to talk about Mystic Rhythms again. Uh, oh, no, I already did. Works live as audio, but the crowd seems weirded out. Let's go to Resist. Yep. Um, I've always said I would take the original version of Resist over the acoustic, but it's performed really nicely on this record. It doesn't seem forced. It doesn't seem hokey. It's like very genuine. Uh, I believe it's in a different key as well. I think when they play it acoustic, the key changes um, away from what it was on the studio record, which is always interesting. But um, I, I don't know that for sure. But I need to side by side them to check it. Um, but I like hearing. I I just think it kind of fits. It works a little bit better than the Rio version somehow. It could just be the mix. What about you, Nick? Yeah, um, it was cool. It was nice to see them like sit down and it just be Alex and Getty for a little while too. Um, again, I felt like it was um, Rush's midlife crisis thing, or they were like being super nostalgic for when they were younger. So it was nice to see them just do their thing, which they were probably doing in high school before, you know, Neil happened. I always like to see Getty. I don't believe he's playing the sixth string with a pick. He's kind of using his nail like he's been playing the bass recently. And that that's always oh, wow. interesting to me. He like I believe he's not holding a pick. He's just kind of flicking the strings like he does on his bass. Which is cool. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even notice that. That's that's really cool. Let me back up one track and ask I'm going to ask you what you think of the um the drum solo now i've always perceived the, the drum solo his drum solos to have been nearly identical since rio or thereabouts and i think i'm wrong i think they've changed slightly each tour and now in the most recent tour like let's say you bunch all three mini solos into one um it's actually very different than the one we hear on r30 i listened to it yesterday and i watched it and i thought oh this is like this feels like an old solo this is what I remember his solos used to be. They're, they feel a bit more methodical. They feel a bit more planned out. You can kind of smell the impro- the missing improvisation. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of this one. This is the one he calls Der Trommler. But you're absolutely right that he has like ideas that he uses in each and every solo. And one of them, I think, is like super iconic with drum people. Uh, he has the part where it's um, doom t- Boom! Yeah. Right smack in the middle, and I remember when I worked at Guitar Center right after college, I would hear that part so often on the the electric TD30 kit. And then again, this year I was a judge for drum off, and that exact same boom boom thing popped up in two of the people's drum solos for drum off this year that's the best and uh it was funny because paul bonolo who's been on the show before too was there as well and we just had this moment where we look across the room and we're like we know what he's doing (laughs) (laughs) yeah we should mention that you and paul were on our um our moving or our uh i was gonna say moving pictures our music videos podcast where we talked about each rush music video if you think you remember (laughs) nick from somewhere uh, so Heart Full of Soul is performed acoustically and uh, it's like okay cool they're going to play it acoustic and then Neil shows up and I'm like oh, okay <laughs> this feels kind of hokey um, yeah, I that imagine was, you're going to say that, the that same was thing with this and I remember movie. thinking like when I was watching the DVD because I forgot that he shows back up in that song right. that it's not acoustic the whole time Me too. and you can see him just kind of like lurking in the shadows behind <laughs> the drums and it kind of gives off like a serial killer vibe and it was kind of weird. And then I was like, Oh wait, that's right. He plays here. <laughs> um, let me see. Oh, so then we get uh, for 2112. I just have pirates. Same thing. I wrote 2112, a vast mateys, <laughs> <laughs> which, which was hilarious. Cause I was, uh, I was listening to the album on the way to my dad's to watch the DVD yesterday. And I got to 2112, and uh, I hear, like, we are the pirates of the temples of Syrinx. And I was wondering, why is he why is he doing that? I forgot about this. And then you see the dudes on the DVD, pirate sword fighting, and Getty puts the parrot on his shoulder. Yeah, and there's this huge um, skull and crossbones flag, black and white flag on stage. Um, yep. I d- it, like, my girlfriend's watching with me, and she goes, why? <laughs> 
And I'm like, that's a great question. And you know what? Um, just to go back to one of your earlier questions again, when you were asking me why I, lo- why I was like, why R30 sticks out in my mind so much. And I think it's because when I was a kid, when I imagine rock shows, I just imagine like not what we got from Rush. And it was so cool to see like all this weird quirky stuff, mm-hmm. like the washing machines behind Getty and the rotisserie chicken thing or whatever it is next to him. And then like pirate battles and all these weird quirky videos they had coming up throughout the concert. Like Jerry Stiller announced them into the stage. Yes. Perfect. Which actually, if, if we could talk about that real quick, it I don't know if you caught the joke in there, but Jerry Stiller's like looking around and he's like, ah, man, I hope they play pa- Bangkok. Ah, they never play Bangkok. And then it showed up in the overture and his face uh, he goes in the bonkers, screen behind them was he? like so stoked. <laughs> At the time, I, I didn't, funny. again, I, I, hadn't, I didn't have 2112 yet. So I didn't know what Bangkok was. And I, you right. know, this is one of the first, like, this was the first live DVD I had purchased. I had like a bootleg of Rio to get me into the band. And I remember thinking, what is Bangkok? <laughs> like, it must be this song where he shows up again. But, uh, and and then obviously I can turn the, the DVD around and see that. But um, it took me a long time before I actually heard the studio version. I wonder if cool. they fed that to him, like they gave him the joke, like to pro- the producers of this album. They were like, "Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna mention how you, you really want to hear Bangkok." Or did they say, "Pick a song you on this album that you always want to hear," and then say that they never play it or something? I, I wonder, was it fed to him or was that genuine? <laughs> I don't know. I like to think that Jerry Stiller had a hand in adding Bangkok to the overture. <laughs> they asked him to do this this spot and he was like now hold on a minute are you guys playing Bangkok and they're like no he's like then I'm out no deal (laughs) you know back to the pirates that is such a cool moment I wish it was something they would do more often not necessarily with pirates but uh just just messing around like that in 2112 because it's performed the overtures performed so much and right um is there a parallel though is there a reason it was pirate themed with the storyline in 2112 maybe there's something there maybe it was just completely random i i think if i had a bass guitar strap with a parrot on it i would never not use that strap (laughs) like i would just always have the parrot on because that was such a neat thing to see uh but anyway we cruise into Xanadu, and I'll, I'll let you start with Xanadu. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, yeah, Xanadu was next, and that was also like a really cool moment when I saw it live uh, as a kid because that was one of the songs I didn't recognize. I think I told you this earlier. It was one of the ones I didn't immediately recognize, and then it wasn't until like getting the CD or whatever when this came out that I could, that I was able to like listen back to it. And then I think I found it on, I think different stages. Like I, I heard like a, like different live albums of Xanadu before I actually heard the studio version of Xanadu. And the, the R30 version is the one that's always in my head when I think about the song Xanadu. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. It was the same for me. I didn't have Xanadu for a long time or a farewell to Kings for a long time. Um, did you, how did, how did you look at how did you look at that double neck? Was that, was that anything you had ever seen before? Was it not a big deal? Was it I, had, I had a, a Kiss comic book when I was a kid. And I remember Ace Fraley's character had the double neck guitar and it shot lasers. And I think <laughs> up to that point, that was my only exposure to a double neck guitar. <laughs> so I thought and I was like, oh my God, they're real? And what you were else waiting, is real? You were waiting for the lasers, right? <laughs> Yeah, they didn't happen, but, you know, I think that's because it's Space Ace's awesome space power, so I won't <laughs> hold it against Alex. <laughs> um, I wrote down bass pedals, and there are a, f- a select few songs that are supremely upgraded by the use of bass pedals in the live setting. Something about those pedals live are just big, like bigger and 
richer and, and just really fill the sound out better than they do on like a moving pictures, the bass pedals we hear on moving pictures. Right. And, um, for example, I've always said, witch hunt, I can't even listen to it on, on moving pictures because of how great it is on an album like Snakes and Arrows Live. Uh, <laughs> right. Another one is Bravado, I think, really benefits from bass pedals live. And in this case, Xanadu does. I mean, we get the bass pedals on the Farewell to Kings record uh, recording, but here there's just something about it that makes it really step into mud. It is big and aggressive and fills out the sound and i think it suits what the song is about it kind of puts you in that place in that setting Uh, and the last thing about this this recording is this crazy like extended ending i I don't mean crazy there's nothing crazy about it it's just fabulous it's really simple they're just going to play the last note i think it's like three or four times extra and it's it's always like in place of the actual ending of Xanadu. Like I don't know if we've ever heard the actual, dun 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 bum 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 dun 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 bum bum bum. I don't know if we've ever heard that live. Yeah, I I don't remember ever hearing that before. And then of course we have the reggae foreshadowing in Working Man. Now they've done yeah, reggae I, I have and a working note. Is man that the before. first time they did that? Sorry. They've done it before, but here it's like definitely foreshadowing uh the time machine version, which is a lot of people argue the greatest recording of that song. Uh which is the whole like beginning, the whole like two verses worth of the song are reggae. And we know that's like a Neil influence, Neil Diggs reggae, but um do you like it? I do. I, I agree that the, the reggae version is the greatest version, and I think that this is the second best version. So. <laughs> oh, man. I love that. I all My note for that just says, working man, love that ending with three exclamation points. So Yeah. <laughs> and I think any drummer can appreciate some reggae, especially when reggae is not expected. Surpri- yeah. Surprise reggae. We're just going to call this episode <laughs> Surprise Reggae. I like that. Now... Here's the thing where we get summertime blues and we get crossroads before an expected limelight. Or I should say an un- a non-surprising limelight to finish the show out. We would never, ever see new material in the encore. And I shouldn't say never, ever. I think it has happened. I think Red Lenses was a brand new song on that tour, the Grace tour, and I think that was in the encore. Like, it's happened, but definitely not since, like, Rio or different stages, or I should say the Test for Echo tour. They're not playing new material in the encore. That's happening in the second set, maybe deep into the first set. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I guess it's not, like, any. we, we have these, like, old school covers. They're kind of built for the encore. Like, look at In the Mood. In the Mood is a song that would be most closely related to these covers in terms of style. And In the Mood was constantly played in the encore. So I understand it that it works. But it is funky to see that. We're not going to a Snakes and Arrows concert. And I know Snakes and Arrows is always my go-to. But we're not going to go to Snakes and Arrows uh, live and hear Armor and Sword and Working Them Angels in the encore. <laughs> that's not, not going to make many people happy. No, uh, you're right. And it's like I said earlier, I was actually kind of bummed out when I remembered that the encore was Summertime Blues and cross, uh, Crossroads. But when again, when I was a kid and I saw that, because feedback was still new at that point, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, they're playing Crossroads. That's really cool. And now I, I don't, I'm not really crazy about their cover of Crossroads, but it's whatever. They did it. It's done. They did it. It's done. And that's why we can't complain too much because it was just this one tour. Yeah. Um, they had the, it's that's that's like the rush equivalent of going out and buying a sports car when you're when you're 48. They were having their rush midlife crisis. <laughs> now, in terms of the packaging, I was never in love with like the art on this album. Um, from here on out, Rush is like really in love with the rusty bullet hole you know what i'm talking yeah. about? yeah 
we see it I on do, absolutely. Live. Like it, it just appears often. Um, and I get it. It looks like worn out and stuff, the actual cardboard. But my box set slides out of a sleeve that's like um, it's identical to the actual case. But inside the sleeve, I just noticed last night, it's all white and black Dalmatian dots. Which is weird because was, th- this has didn't nothing play to any... do with signals. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing special about signals. Why is it... You know what it reminds me of is when the Clockwork Angels tour book came out. And we were all speculating about the tour. And they had a Dalmatian... Uh, no, they had a, a spray painting of a red fire hydrant uh, in the tour book or on the tour book cover. And everyone was speculating they were going to play Signals in its entirety because it was the 30th anniversary. Um, it would have been, this would have been cooler to me had it been rabbits. Had there been rabbits inside this sleeve instead of the Dalmatian print? Because then it would have been like, yeah, yeah we left off Presto, but <laughs> yeah, we're still acknowledging it. We're acknowledging it. That were like it would. Oh, why is Presto special? Well, they left it off the album, so that makes sense. Um. Anyway, you know there was. Yeah, you know. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying it's it's gonna really bug me now to think because I didn't actually notice that there was anything there wasn't anything off Presto on here, right. and now I'm I'm really sad. Doesn't it bug? <laughs> I mean, like, it R40 does. left off a, a few records, but it, at least that was, like, you could understand why they didn't play anything on pow- from Power Windows, you know? Yeah. But um, to just leave off one when you clearly were, were meaning to include everything feels really dirty. I wonder if they had some weird feelings, like, toward that album. I I don't know. Like, if they saw, like, reviews or from people on the internet or something, like, oh, nobody likes presto i guess we won't yeah. play anything off presto guys but, it, but it's like use your brain here guys you know like they think oh we're not gonna let's not play show don't tell let's play mystic rhythms that'll really get everybody going <laughs> um oh boy now i wanted to mention before i go uh last week i talked about russian rio and my dad reminded mm-hmm. me i didn't mention the soup once you didn't mention the what? The soup. The soup? The soup. In the interviews from Russian Rio, they asked the band, what was the best part about this tour? And they all said collectively, <laughs> the soup. And I'm like, how could I? How could I forget the soup? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. You, you know what's so one much. other thing we didn't uh, get to talk about yet on this episode? What? To, to, to open the second set on this tour. They had a short film called Darn That Dragon. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. It just starts with like the, the A short R30. film that's not very short. Yeah, it's like a couple minutes long, but it, it was still really entertaining. And it was cool because you got like the little Rush bobbleheads have to stop like the marionette R30 Russian Rio dragon from destroying a Rush merch table. Mm-hmm. And their ship is called Singus and all of their all the sound effects are like synth sound effects from songs that they uh that they didn't play live so it was kind of cool to see that reference in there as well i I just remember thinking that was really funny and on this tour and like the next two or three tours their videos are so long and and, and i'm not complaining they are and then we get to r40 and like uh, it's a nice fresh air how do i say that breath of fresh air um where it's like yeah oh, we're just gonna do some short clips and that's it uh but no, I, I enjoy them. I And again, I'm sorry. I'm biased. I like the videos on Snakes and Arrows the best. Where it was all chicken themed. And it made no sense. You know, they're they're waking up from their dreams. Remember? Uh, I guess I'll yeah. save that for next week. But uh, anyway. Nick, it was rem- great having you on, man. Hey, man. It's great to be on. It's always a blast. Uh, you should all check out... And now, what what is Keep Digging? Is it a UFO podcast or is it a ex uh, a paranormal podcast? What is it labeled as? 
So ultimately, the goal with Keep Digging is to just talk about anything mysterious. So I started with UFOs because I had a bunch of friends with UFO stories. And then episode two, which was supposed to come out last week, is all about ghosts. But one of the dudes I interviewed talking about Ouija board stuff requested that I don't anymore because him talking about Ouija board stuff made paranormal activity in his house increase. So um, it's, it's going to be all stuff like that. I have an episode planned where I don't have any interviews where I'm just talking about uh, hell and other cultures. But ultimately, I want it to be you listeners call in or write in and tell their stories and then it's just a place where everybody can share weird stuff that's happened to them that's the best man and i do i have a new ghost story i've only got one ghost story my whole life that i want to share with you at some point yeah um we can definitely i need to replace that guy on the episode (laughs) so hopefully we can do that soon perfect uh yeah guys check out keep digging uh it's on soundcloud primarily right yeah, I'm bad at stuff, and I can't fig- I can't get my art to get accepted by iTunes for some reason. Mm-hmm. So I need my wife to help me with it. I've just been lazy about it until I post the second episode. Mm-hmm. But it'll be uh, two episodes per month when it ultimately comes out. Excellent. Uh, yeah, well, thanks again, man. And uh, I hope to see you soon. And to all y'all out there listening... Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm from Texas. Can you believe someone thought I was from Texas the other day? Like I was talking normally. I wasn't saying funny things to be ironic. Uh, I was just talking. She's like, "Are you from Texas?" And I said, "No." Nothing about you screams Texas. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't want to be known as the Texas guy. Uh, guys, yeah, we'll be uh... we'll be back next week with Snakes and Arrows Live, one of my favorites. Thanks, guys. <laughs>